0: the truth about you is what God says, regardless of your emotions, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of what you have or don't have. Our things don't define us. And this story is about living in this tension of trying to control our destiny or <clears throat> excuse me, abiding in God's plan and knowing that yesterday today and tomorrow are about embracing the incarnate life of Christ who came to live for you and die for you that you might live with power and purpose and that's what we're invited to consider as we as we look to the uh, scripture and understand what is happening in 1 Samuel chapter 20 to understand that we got to understand the importance of truth and how it's centered in the life of Jonathan and David and not so in the life of Saul. But to start, in John chapter 8, verse 31 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's knowing the truth, embracing the truth on a heart level and being free from your selfish ambitions, placing yourself at the center of your will and allowing the Lord to rule in your life, to understand the the true king, the king of Kings, the Lord of lords. And that truth embraced on a heart level reorders our entire lives. And to be honest with you, just... This week, I've been, I've been wrecked with tragedy. A former student of mine um, fought a two-year battle with cancer and uh, died just this last week and had a part in planning his funeral, and we'll have a, a speaking uh, part in his funeral later today. And this young man fought for his life, and he never lost hope, and he, he was grounded in truth. And you can see in his countenance, in the, in the final days, you can see uh, a belief and a surrender, and as, as defined before, hope, the joyful anticipation of good. He knew that he was going somewhere, and he believed in the word of God. So let's consider as we, as we look at this text that God wants us to marvel at his king, rest in the certainty of his rule, and commit ourselves to serving him above all things. The joy joy of the Lord is our strength always in the midst of a bad week, in the midst of reflecting on what we don't have or how life is happening to us in in, in in a difficult way. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And the story of David throughout Scripture is the evidence of someone who was content to endure. Are we content to endure in spite of what we have, don't have, or what people say about us? Again, the truth about you is what God says, regardless of what you've done, of what you haven't done, of what you have, what you don't have, or what you feel. We put so much emphasis on feelings that we miss the purpose of God that is an invitation into his heart to understand his character and nature and walk in freedom. And walking in that freedom, we are entrusted with the attractional nature of Christ in us, that people see the fruit of the Spirit on our lives and say, that's different. That's not sophistication and impressive uh, clothing or, or, or talk. That is the attractional nature of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, uh, self-control. I forgot one, but whatever it was. Um, <clears throat> it's those things that, that people are drawn to, and that is the evidence of the power of God in your life, the fruit of the Spirit, the presence of the risen Lord. So David is not trying to control his destiny, and it's important to really understand that, that we sacrifice our peace when we try to control things or people or situations outside of our control. And many of you have young people, uh, uh, children um, that, uh, that have lived their own course of life, and maybe that was you as a younger person, and you, you're only as content as the, the person who's hurting most in your family. And my dad can certainly attest to that on many levels. But in the midst of uncertainty, we can look to the Lord and know that we've been invited into the peace that transcends all understanding. And you have been entrusted with a kingdom purpose that nobody can come against. It's up to us to live into the fullness of life that God has invited. And nobody can hold us back from that. So we sacrifice our peace when we try to control someone or something outside of our control. At some point, we have to realize that we hand it over to God, as David did throughout the course of his life, that he didn't try to control his destiny. He was called and committed. A commitment is an unchanging willingness to respond to God's opportunity, his invitation to you that goes beyond circumstances. Are we committed? And in 1 Samuel... We see the story of Jonathan as well, and Jonathan lived by an absolute truth that shaped the entirety of his life and his loyalty and friendship to David. It was divinely inspired on his life. The truth only hurts when we're not living in it. And that's a, that's a key quote that I circle back on through life, that if we don't live in the truth and someone confronts us with a, with a, with a word of truth and, and confrontation because they care enough about us to tell us the truth, it hurts if we chart, try to chart the course for our lives independent of God's plan. And that's Saul. Saul had a civil war, as one theologian indicated, happening within himself. Truth was relative to Saul, it was built on his perspective. And we know today in our world that relativism is all about what we say truth might be, is what the relativists would say. But truth from an absolute word of God perspective is that Jesus came, he died, and he's going to come back. And what king do we serve? What have we aligned ourselves with? Is it a worldly ambition for gaining things to demonstrate a successful life, or is it living independently of those around us because we, th- we don't like anybody around us? Or is it trying to uh, satisfy the things of the flesh to feel content? Do you, do, do you, do you participate in um, substance abuse or overspending or uh, flourishing in the wrong things to escape an emotion or feel an emotion? That's often the motive. We do these things to retreat instead of engage and abide in the truth that sets us free. So in first Samuel it's broken in three chapter or three sections. The story of Samuel and Eli, Saul and Samuel, and David and Saul. So the tension plays out in the key themes that God shows grace to the needy and faithful children. God brings low and proud the proud and cuts off the wicked. God gives strength to his king and exalts the power of his anointed one. David's victory over over Goliath unlocks all of this in the book of 1 Samuel, that God will achieve his purpose of salvation and judgment, and that he can use you and me and David to further the kingdom, the purpose of God in our lives, that he is writing us into this, this plan that is about redemption it's about redemption, past, present, and future, but it's all centered around Jesus Christ. And the foreshadowing of the coming king and the life of David is how we should read the word and understand how God works. And in this case, we know that man looks on the outside, but God looks at the heart. And his objective is to bring all of human life on earth under the direction of his wisdom, his, gut, his goodness, and his power. So are we a part of that kingdom purpose? Are we a part of this reconciliation project that we've been invited into? Are we wrestling with our faith? Are we putting too much emphasis on our feelings? Or are we content to endure for the kingdom of God? How we respond is ultimately decided in the heart. What is the condition of our heart? That's the question that we continually need to ask. And if we're independently fighting through the trials of life, the regret, the the indecision not acted upon, uh, the regret, the unforgiveness, the the pain, the the questions that we have that we battle within um, our minds, are we handling these faithfully? Are we independently going about hoping that our feelings eventually will align? So I invite you to consider... As an effort on your own part to do some heart therapy and maybe even consider taking advantage of our living waters program here at the church, which uh, is a, a group that meets on Tuesday nights where they pursue the heart of God and they look to the Word and they praise the Lord and they develop this community of like minded believers that are willing to come forward with their pain and admit need on a very deep level and then also if you want to if you want to deal with your your, your pain and your loneliness and your your struggles and you need somebody to just listen to you and not um, tell you what to do necessarily or diagnose you or um, offer unsolicited advice. But you just want to share and you want an objective person. Take advantage of our Stephen ministry. These are These are trained people that are trained to listen and pray and reflect the heart of God back to you. So these are... Um, options in the church as are our pastoral counselors that you can engage with and really do some heart therapy and process the pains of life, the disappointments, the sadness, the uncertainties. And we do these things, we come full circle and we realize that, man, I sure have tried to battle independently and things didn't come together to me. But when we surrender, we're a part of the process that I've described as, as is congregational care. Our goal is to affect people for hope bring them through a healing process and see them part of a harvest reconciliation project where they're contributing seeds of life because we're redeemed, we're free, and we're certain of our calling and our purpose. And we're moving towards that. That doesn't happen on a line that happens in a cycle, much like the life of David and Jonathan and Saul and how it plays out in this text. The fallen nature of the heart, as A.W. Tozer said is to possess and covet things with a deep and fierce passion the roots of heart of our heart grow deep down into things the roots of our heart grow deep down into things Saul was all about himself Saul was all about what he could acquire to sustain his title to sustain his prowess and his his rule but it wasn't God's plan And everyone around him knew it, but he tried to control his destiny, and he was warring with himself and lashing out with violence and resentment and rage, trying to ultimately affect his end goal. And it didn't go his way. And thanks be to God, it went the way of the Lord in spite of all of human trial and setback to come against the plan. As a result of his insecurity, he lashes out at the most trusted servant in his camp, David, and that's what we're going to look at. And interestingly, it's important to consider that sometimes those around us are the ones that are holding us back the most. And I've said many times in, in working with people and, and uh, people battling addiction that it's kind of like when you're trying to make a good effort, it's kind of like the analogy of two crabs in a boiling water. <laughs> you got one climbing out trying to make, get, get away from the heat, and you got the other that just pulls them right back in continually, and you can't get away. So David is a broken man. Personally, he was covered in guilt. Domestically, his home was shattered. Is there any pain worse than family trouble? We all know that. We can all speak to that. We all know that our family brings life and defines us and positions us for influence. Or our family is just something that we don't like going back to. But God's plan, regardless of what your destruction or your setback or your resentment or, or the unfair issues of life In the context of family involved, God's plan for you is to be a difference maker, a person of reconciliation, of grace, of truth, the presence of hope, of love, of unconditional compassion. And this is evidence in the life of Jonathan, who embraced his calling. And you see in David's life as well that the reflection of his heart is, is evidenced throughout the Psalms. In the midst of all these setbacks, personally, domestically, politically, he lost respect as a leader. He went off into exile for a time. Then he comes back and he becomes a king. Jonathan was loyal. The Loyalty, loyalty is one of life's most costly qualities. It is the most selfless part of love. When you think to yourself, what, it, what does loyalty look like for me today? How do I need to be more loyal? Or how do I need to celebrate God's blessing of, of offering grace in such a way that I would be loyal? And thanking the Lord for that. To be loyal, you cannot live for yourself alone. Loyal people not only stand by their commitments, they're willing to suffer for them. And that's an important note to make that loyal people are willing to suffer and remain married and remain faithful and remain surrendered or committed to a godly relationship, be it marriage or not, where you're loyal, even if you find out that somebody said something about you that you don't like. But you're loyal and you're, you're willing to suffer and you're willing to allow the Lord to do a work. In Jonathan's life, truth always guided loyalty, the absolutes. And unlike his father his loyalty to God gave him direction through conflicting demands of human relationship. And that's what we need to self assess in our lives continually is the truth of God giving me the guidance and the contentment to endure through human relationship. If you'll turn with me to the text itself, I'm going to read a few of the verses. There's 42 total. So there's obviously a bit more than I can read. Um, and Charlotte did a beautiful job reading earlier. Thank you for that, Charlotte. But if you'll turn to page 287, or if you just you follow along as I read a bit. In, in verse 19, preceding this chapter, Saul tries to kill David. He lies to Jonathan, vowing not to kill him. And he conspires to have several people pursue David for death. Again, attempting to control his destiny He was at odds with himself. He couldn't relax. He couldn't be content with what what he was and what God's ultimate plan was. He tried to to make it happen in his own effort. So in verses 1 through 4, Jonathan is unaware of Saul's latest attack. And Jonathan was devoted to God's anointed king. What have I done, David asks, in innocence. You shall not die, Jonathan says, And down in verse uh, 3, But truly as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do. There is a covenant made together before the Lord, a bond, a brotherhood that went beyond circumstances. And again, Jonathan was guided by the absolute truth of God, the plan of God. His heart was in alignment. A like-mindedness of spirit and purpose with his brother David. As together they looked at the word and they said, regardless of death, regardless of the threat of what might come against our peace, our our material uh, possessions, our ability to just land in a royal palace and, and enjoy the fruits of life. David would go on the run for 10 years and live among the Philistines. Among those that he would war against, he would risk everything and, and evade capture from Saul. So Jonathan was devoted to God's anointed king regardless of what would come against him. In 5 through 7, David's concern for missing the new moon festival shows that he had not permanently been removed, removed himself from the court. He still left uh, things open that, that somehow things might work out in his favor. And he he he, try, he went back and forth with with Saul trying to get back in to the covering of his political uh leadership and his place at the table in eight through seventeen may the uh, in verse thirteen may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father if i am still alive show me the steadfast love of the lord that i may not die and do not cut me off from the steadfast love from my house forever when the lord cuts off every one of the enemies of david from the face of the earth and jonathan made a covenant with the house of david saying may the lord take vengeance on david's enemies and jonathan made david swear again by his love for him for he loved him and he loved his own, as he loved his own soul. The soul is the mind, will, and the emotions. And when we're in alignment with other people on that kind of level that we think biblically and we think with a mind that is guarded and a mind that is registered by the, the, the things that resound truth, that resound the love of God the presence of God, that further these things in our lives. And we're like-minded with people, then our spirit and our purpose becomes unified. So again, if if we live outside of the truth, it hurts. And we try to develop these relationships that happen on a heart level where we're connected. We bypass suspicion and judgment and, and reading too deeply into someone's motive. And we love them right where they are, regardless of what they can offer us. We see the fullness of God's love present in these type relationships, just as David and Jonathan did. So if we to, if we keep pressing in, Jonathan's sensitivity to David, David's need for reassurance is profound. He only asks that the kindness will be shown to him and his family in verses 8 through 17. Jonathan's covenant calls David's enemies to account and so if Saul announces David to be an enemy, enemy then Jonathan is calling judgment on himself. So, so as you read the words as they play out, if David is announced an enemy or David announces Saul as an enemy, then suddenly that creates historically, um, as would happen with the the leading of, of a, royal, a royal king, if there was an enemy of the king, then all of his family was aligned with him, and so that enemy would be against himself. So there was a risk taken here. In verse eight, 18 through 34, he reaffirms the commitment by saying, The Lord is witness between us forever. He was grieved by his father's anger and not afraid to show it, though it put him at risk. Again, loyalty the most selfless part selfless part of love he was willing to suffer for as long in verse 31 for as long as the son of Jesse lives on earth this is Saul's anger neither you nor your kingdom shall be established therefore send and bring him to me for he shall surely die then jonathan answered his father saul saul why should he be put to death what has he done Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death, and Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger, didn't eat food for the second day of the month, and he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. He was willing to walk away from his family and walk away from his inheritance. Jonathan was in line to become king, and he easily could have conspired with Saul, his father, to kill David, and then ultimately take the throne and control his destiny. But instead, he knew the truth of God. He knew the word of God. He knew the covenant made before the Lord with David. that Together, they would be after God's heart. And God would honor that commitment. Verses 35 through 42, David wept the most, indicating possibly that he was conscious of the end of an era. He was willing to give up the kingdom for the love of a friend. The following chapter, the following chapters, in 21 through 26, David lives in exile, as I mentioned, and he puts himself in harm's way. The application here is, is quick and to the point. The Lord's protection of his king is evidenced throughout Scripture, is evidenced throughout our lives in our modern era. The Lord's protection of his king, the Father has and always will protect us, We are eternally secure in Christ. God is our refuge and strength, a very pleasant help in a time of trouble. He only is the rock of his people and our fortress and our salvation. Those are in Psalm 46, 1 and 62, 2. The king is worthy of devoted service. Devoted service to Jesus does not arise from challenge alone. We don't respond to the pressures of life and just decide we're going to follow Jesus Um, simply because life hurts and we think we should surrender. There's part of it. But more often than not, faithful service to the Lord arises from conviction about his identity. Who is Jesus really? And who is God God in in this context? And it couldn't be argued in a political arena. It couldn't be argued in uh, the household. It couldn't be argued... In different ways that Saul was trying to demonstrate himself to be the king, it arises out of a conviction of identity, the true identity of Jesus, the nature of his grace and his rule over our people, over all people. So let us learn how to serve the Lord's King. Is Jesus the supreme affection of your life? Or is something, the pursuit of something, an emotion? A, a, a possession uh, an ultimate end goal are you waiting to gather these things to feel content to endure to to feel the the security and the love and the blessing and the covering of the lord are you willing to surrender and be a servant a contributor a faithful follower and it, it, and if you are that your feelings will eventually align your purpose will become that much more clear As you surrender your life before the Lord and say, Thank God, Jesus, you are the King of my kingdom, and I am not. A quick little story in closing. There's a story that many of you have heard about in 2 Samuel, the life of Mephibosheth. He was a five year old when both his brother Jonathan, or his father Jonathan, and his grandfather Saul died at the Battle of Mount. Uh, Gilboa and the servant in that household ran fr- the nurse ran from the situation of, of the news of the death of of Saul and Jonathan and dropped the child Mephibosheth and bro- broke his legs he was then unable to walk following that so as David eventually ascends to the kingship of the kingdom he remembers because his heart was in alignment with the, with the power of God and the love of God he remembers not just the being uh, enjoying the fruits of his labor that he easily could have done winning many wars and achieving all of what he he achieved as a great leader but he thought back to his covenant with Jonathan and he remembered that he made a, co- a covenant to be kind to the family of Jonathan and so he sent to have any remaining remnant of Jonathan's line to be brought to him. And it was this, Mephibosheth. And this was a story of God's love for you and God's love in the context of how this plays out. He brings Mephibosheth into his his royal courts and he gives him a place at the banquet table. And he says, I will restore to you all of your inheritance and you will eat with me at this table each night. And he says, how, Mephibosheth says, how in the world would you notice a dead dog like me? In his mind, his self-assessment of himself, he had nothing. He was from a land that was called nothing. And he said, what do I have to offer? And God looks onto us the same way and says, you have everything to offer because you are part of my family. And he brings us in and he sits us at the table. So in closing God wants you to be the king God wants to be the king of your kingdom. He wants to give you the rest in his lordship as you love him and serve him with all your heart, mind and soul. Will you do that today? Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we don't have to have it all figured out. Our part is faith. Your part is faithfulness. And we thank you that you are the Lord and we are not. We give you glory and honor and praise for your word that we can understand truth as absolute and it shapes our lives regardless of culture and that we get to shape culture as the voice of the church that praises the name of Jesus Christ. Make that clear for us today and let us put less emphasis on our feelings and more emphasis on our mission. In Jesus' name, amen.